Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. Well, welcome back again. We are here. I'm Murray, the stunning man. He's, he's sort of like the perfect mix of like the physicality of a Saul and a heart of a David. You know, uh, come and come and hear Mr. Mitch Levingston um, brought us a great word on Sunday uh, around yeah, sort of Saul being instated mm. as king. Um, a really um, pivotal moment in Israel's history, and mm. yeah, sort sort of a, a pivotal moment, definitely in the Book of Samuel as well. Um, before we get into it, Mitch, if God made you king tomorrow, what is the first change Ooh. that you would make? Let's say king of Australia. Ooh. Ooh. I don't know, actually. I'll go first because I had a moment okay, to think about moment. it think as I was it. asking yeah. it. Um, I can say this now because it doesn't yeah. feel like I'm, you know, projecting any of my own agenda when I say mm. this. Genuinely, like solar panels. Like I would say, hey, anybody who wants solar panels will pay for it and then you pay us back with the electricity. I actually think that that should be like <laughs> something that's just so obvious. Yeah. Why are we not doing that? That yeah. would be that would be just like straight away, just off the top of my head. It's yeah. obviously been uh, in my life <laughs> yeah, at the moment. Like, yeah, I've been thinking, thinking about, about it a lot. Um, I don't know. It sounds a bit cliche after the voice, but try to bring in some sort of recognition mm. for Indigenous people, mm. some sort of way to, yeah, move forward mm. as a nation mm. either a treaty or yeah something that i find interesting in scripture where if you steal something you have to repay someone back fourfold mm. and i don't know how that looks in the context mm. of nations being taken from people mm. so that's mm. one of those things that i leave to god to deal with but yeah something like that i think that would mm. be powerful if i was the king of australia because then it'd technically be the king of the the, the empire wouldn't you you're the king of Australia. You know? Yeah, you're head of the British throne. So you know. To oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I was I was just thinking maybe we like somehow became okay, like our republic. own oh, our own republic, in, yeah, in yeah. republic. But then we decided to instate a new monarch. <laughs> <laughs> but sure, I think I think definitely with the <laughs> profound amount of wealth <laughs> that the, yeah. that the Commonwealth has. They could help to, uh, to, yeah, pay back some of yeah. that stolen land. Yeah, no, for sure. I think there, there might be a show on ABC. If it's not ABC, it's SBS, and it's called Things the British Stole. <laughs> and it's a whole show. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't uh, watched it, but it's it's kind of a massive indictment on the Commonwealth. There yeah. could be an entire, you know, season of a show mm. about the things that the British stole. <laughs> yeah. uh, Anyway, that's probably what I would do. So, are, are, are we are we better off with kings? Is I guess the Ooh, question that yeah. this big big does, uh, uh, passage is is asking yeah, today. Well, and this is the tension as I brought up on Sunday is when we finish off judges, we're definitively told the problem is everyone does what's right in their eyes because there's no king. Yeah, and then in Deuteronomy chapter seventeen from verse fourteen to twenty, it is stated that hey, like when you enter the land, the Lord God is giving you. Say, let us set a king over us, like all the nations. Be sure to appoint the king the Lord God chooses. It goes into a whole bunch of requirements. The king must not acquire horses or make the people return to Egypt to get more. Uh, He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. And then he's to write like a copy of the scroll out Mm. and follow the decrees of Yahweh. That's Mm. kind of like set out. So it's anticipated that there will be a king. So Moses predicted it. Yeah. 
Judges foreshadows it. Yeah. Samuel is part of it. And then we get here to 1 Samuel 8, and it's like, ah, how dare they ask this? It's seen as a bad thing. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Why? And that's... um, So what's important here? We'll, we'll look at some of the chapters we skipped over, but we're told here when Samuel gets old, he appoints his two sons, Joel and Abijah, and they serve. And their sons, a bit like Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they... We're told here they, the sons do not follow his ways. They turn aside after dishonest gain, accepted bribes, yeah. and perverted justice. I so. mean, when we see a high priest having two sons at this point, we should just think it's not going to turn yeah, out. Yeah, have well. a third, mate. You'll be yeah, right. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. Third will balance it, it out. But it. yeah, it's setting up a theme of like, okay, his injustice was the issue that caused Samuel to replace Hophni and Phineas, yeah. Eli's sons. And now injustice is causing the yeah. need for a replacement sons of Samuel. And so that sets up the, I guess, the the background to it. And then, yeah, we're told here, this is, this is God's response to Samuel. And the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king, as I have done from the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day, forsaken me serving other gods, so they are doing to you. It's like, okay. Like, seems like there's something more to this than just a request for a king. That's so it might be the injustice as the background, but God's saying there's a deeper spiritual issue here is that they want to be, and we're told here at the end of chapter eight, and they're like, oh, we want you, we want a king to to lead us and go out and fight our battles. Mm. Now, mm. this is in kind of important context is 1 Samuel chapters 4 to 7 sets up, I guess, uh, some of God's victories by himself. And yeah. so, so, and when Samuel gets that word as a child about, yeah, you know, um, Eli and his sons are going to die on the same day. And in 1 Samuel chapter 4, the Israelites, so they're fighting the Philistines and they camped at Ebenezer and... Um, they're defeated, yeah. and so the people are like, oh, why is God like you know why have it, why has God allowed us to be defeated? Yeah. And they say, hey, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant from Shiloh <laughs> so it may go with us and save us from the hand of our enemies. Now, this is what the Canaanites did. It was you would parade your gods around as like a trophy. Yeah. Now, there's, if you read Joshua, kind of happens at Jericho. The Ark is paraded. But God around. tells them to do that. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And who's leading it? The priests. Yeah. So they're kind of treating God like another tribal warfare God. Oh, we need his presence here with yeah. us now. We need some sort of banner to rally behind. And so they bring the ark up. Um, and then it's interesting, the Philistines, they're afraid. They go, oh, no, a God has come into the camp. Nothing like this has happened before. We're doomed. Who will deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods? They are the gods who struck the Egyptians or all the plagues in the wilderness. So mm. I think Yahweh's reputation still going before mm. him, mm. you know, a couple of hundred years later. Mm. <laughs> you know, they yeah, still yeah, yeah. remember, oh, man, this is the same God that destroyed Egypt, the most powerful nation in the world. Yeah. What hope do we have? And this is what the biblical narrative and the prophets do an extent, like that nations believe that, physical battle was representing behind a greater spiritual battle so when the israelites yeah. invaded canaan the fact that when the israelites were able to cross over the jordan like god parts the, the river yeah. in during the flood time it's like well i've defeated the canaanite gods so i can get through their territory yeah. jericho is yeah similar it's the reason why the israelites don't 
draw any sword is showing like there's a deeper spiritual battle going on yeah and so that's what's happening here is like the you had the most powerful god you were guaranteed victory and so what the bible does is like yeah yahweh is the most powerful but when he's defeated, it's not because another god's more powerful yeah. or another nation is more powerful. It's because he allows it. He's allowing mm. his people to be judged. And so, yeah, that's what happens. The Israelites are slaughtered. We're told Israelites lost 30,000 foot soldiers. The ark's captured. Um, Hophni and Phineas die. And then on that same day, um, Eli's sitting there. He's anxious about the ark of covenant. He falls. Mm. Big fat Eli breaks his neck. Yeah. It's sort of... Um, and then his daughter-in-law... Um, the wife of Phineas is pregnant and she gives birth to a son and names him um, um, Ichbod, you know, Gloria's Departed. What a name for a kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Horrible name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gloria's Departed. So, yeah, yeah and, th- and that's setting up the <laughs> Welcome is, to uh, the world, Ichabod. <laughs> Gloria's yeah, Departed. Well, yeah, it would have been pretty terrible, you know, father-in-law, husband, brother-in-law, everyone dies. It's a terrible yeah. day. And so yeah. that's uh, the, the fulfillment of what the word of the Lord to Samuel, that yeah. this would happen. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But instead of this being disaster oh no it's actually part of god's plan to be eradicating the philistines and so we see that here in um chapter five the ark of the covenant's put into the um the temple of dagon dagon keeps falling Mm. and it sets up a bit of a david and goliath sort of thing yeah um, Dagon, sort of a fishman god. Mm. That's probably the best way to describe it. Sure. Kind of half man, a half merman. Yeah, merman. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, and eventually he falls and his head and his arm comes off. And the head represented mm. power. Yeah. Um, um, like sovereignty arm represents like power. Mm. And so it's like Yahweh's like, yeah, see, I'm better than you. Defeated yeah. you. Then there's a whole bunch of plagues that just eradicate the Philistines. That's it's a bit strange they make tumors and they yeah people are getting wiped wiped out left right and center including philistines and israelites but then eventually the ark makes it back into israel the philistines decide to invade again samuel says hey you know get rid of the idols repent i'm gonna pray for you i'm gonna offer sacrifices and during this big battle while the battle's happening at this place called Mizpah, Samuel is there praying before God, offering sacrifices. Yahweh defeats the Philistines. All is hunky dory, mm. and so that's sort of setting up what's happened with this whole mm. asking for a king. Is that we know that God doesn't need people; mm. He will wi- He will win Israel's battles for them. Yeah. All they need is a a righteous judge like Samuel, a mm. prophet to intercede for them, to yeah, be praying yeah. for them, just like Moses would do for the Israelites. Mm. Like Samuel. Yeah, isn't a warrior figure. He's a prayer warrior figure. Mm. He's there praying for them. And so I think that's what makes the request so much more like, whoa, like we've just read three chapters of God, even in exile, so to speak, still defeating the Philistines, still doing what Israel was supposed to do, was to remove the nations around him. God's kind of picking up the slack, so to speak. They don't need a king to fight their battles because they know God will win. So that's part of why this this request is so yeah. bad yeah yeah so it's 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 not that um god is against <coughs> kings there is a hope for a future king yeah. made clear again and again and even in the you know sort of um yeah the the, the jump jump point into mm. the book of samuel from judges but it's more the idea that once again 
Israel are trying to do it through their own strength, in their own timing, with their own agenda, rather than trusting and waiting and allowing God to reveal Mm. it in his way. Mm. So with this idea of then Saul as king, Saul is um, described um, physically in a way which should also be striking. I'm pretty sure Eli might be the only other person in the story so far who's actually been described physically in the, mm. in the book of Samuel. Yeah. The fact that he was, we spoke about in the previous banter, kavod, <laughs> heavy, yep. and, and fat, sort of pointed towards his you know, own uh, problems and issues in being mm. unfaithful to God and being greedy and looking after himself. And then that you know, kavod, that heaviness, was part mm. of what ended up making him you know, fall over and die and break his neck. Interesting then, his grandson is called Ikavod, (laughs) (laughs) you know. Um, So then we see that Saul is also described in a different way in his physicality. Mm. What's going on there? Yeah, we're told here that Saul, this is 1 Samuel 9, verse 2, Kish had a son named Saul, as handsome a young man as could be found anywhere Mm. in Israel. And he was a head taller than anyone else. Mm. Now for... The perceptive reader, you're like, hang on, what did what did Hannah sing about yeah. in her song? Mm, yeah. You know, the Lord, yeah, to summarize that Lord, you know, well, I'll read here, the bows of the warriors are broken, those who stumbled are armed with strength, those who hire themselves out for food, but those who are hungry are hungry no more. And so there's this idea here that, well, yeah, Hannah sings about it's not by strength that one prevails, those who oppose the Lord will be broken. So Hannah's songs already set up. That's not what's on the outside mm. that sets up your blessing mm. or your cursing. Mm. It's about essentially the heart. Well, are mm. you going to be humble and lowly or will you be proud and brought down? And so mm. the fact that Saul is tall and handsome, you're like, oh, this could be a problem. <laughs> that's yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. and, and that's sort of the, the text is very subtle in how it condemns Saul. It starts yeah. off... And it does, does a similar thing with um, Solomon, actually. It's not an outright, ah, this guy's terrible. You just mm. see little hints that like, yeah. ah, perhaps things aren't there. Because if you think about it, if you want a, a king to lead you into battle, mm. you want your strongest, toughest guy. Yeah, it makes sense, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, what's that, what's that movie called? Troy, the beginning of Troy. Yeah. It has that, like, Troy fights that huge bodybuilder yeah. dude and uh, I mean, like that's who you want you want like someone massive to yeah, be yeah, yeah. leading someone who's very skilled and so um, that's the idea here is that outward appearance and, and god says this to samuel directly when he picks david mm. as king mm. like uh, people you know judge by the outside god looks at the heart yeah know? so the outward appearance isn't all that it's cracked up to be yeah and so we're told here and so too, I should also mention being from the tribe, tribe of Benjamin, around the time of the judges, you're like, oh, Benjamin? Uh, last time I heard about the Benjamites, yeah, they were in the middle of a civil war against the Israelites, and they're so thoroughly like beaten, the Israelites make a vow that if anyone sleeps with a Benjamite, they're cursed, so the Benjamites are forced to like kidnapping women to be their wives. So yeah. it's also this other kind of tension there, I'm like, oh, okay, you've got a king that's tall and handsome yeah. we know that's not the be all end all you got someone from a tribe which mm, has a bit of a murky past to it yeah and then we introduce that kish's donkeys are lost yeah. and saul goes out and yeah they're looking for these donkeys and mm. they can't find them and you meant to kind of go oh. like think of abel 
you think of Noah. Yeah. Think of Abraham. Yeah. Isaac, Jacob, yeah. Moses. Like, yeah, those guys were shepherds. Yeah. Like they could lead animals. Like Noah's like the old. Yeah. He's like the archetype. He's able to, regardless yeah. of all the kind of challenges with the ark narrative. The point is that Noah's able to get all the animals. Yeah. He's able to like rule and subdue over animals completely. Yeah, yeah. Abraham's the same, Isaac's the same, Jacob, they're yeah. shepherds. And, and, and not only shepherds, but also um, at different points seem to be really successful, <laughs> not yes. just in, in guiding, but in breeding. Yeah. And sort of, you know, we see that whole story with Jacob, you know, this yeah. idea that they are not just good shepherds, they're almost like master shepherds. Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. And so you read along, and it's the narrative dedicates quite a lot of time to looking for these donkeys. And it gets to the point where the servant's like, oh, like, we're going to have to go back home because we've been gone so long. Your dad's yeah. going to start worrying about you. And so it's another little subtle hint that eh, Saul might not be always cracked up to me. But then this failure of Saul's to find the donkeys leads to his encounter with mm. Samuel. Mm. And so this anointing, uh, um, Samuel's anointing of Saul. And yeah, and... And even Saul's response, it's mm. a little bit like a Gideon. Mm. And Gideon, because Saul, he goes, ah, oh, but I'm... It was, this is after he finds out he's going to become king. This is verse 21 of chapter 9. says, but am I not a Benjamite from the smallest tribe of Israel? Is not my clan the least of all the clans of the tribe of Benjamin? Why do you say such a thing to me? Mm. Like, oh, that reminds me a little bit of Gideon. Mm. Now, Gideon said that. He's like, ah, oh, I'm not least. It's sort of this... Mm. Yeah. I don't know if it's like humility or false humility, but mm. it's setting up another little hint. And Gideon, despite what Sunday school teaches you, eh, he isn't the greatest judge. We usually finish the story after the 300 Midianites. And it's like, <laughs> of yeah, all the won. characters to name a pocket Bible after. Maybe yeah, Gideon's. Yeah, Gideon, Gideon, Gideon. Gideon. <laughs> like yeah, I remember one time, unrelated topic, when I was at the school, I'd teach the story of Gideon to the primary yeah. school kids every year. And yeah, yeah I, I just skipped that part. I, you know, this part, and I actually look at the part where yeah. you see him like leading, becomes Jeroboam and like has 70 sons and they all like getting even to more worship of idols. Because mm. yeah. normally the theme of judges is it's after the judge dies that the people go back to idolatry. Yeah. With Gideon, the people are going back into it in his lifetime. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah, Gideon's not this great character that we sometimes yeah, make yeah, him out yeah. to be. Yeah. Um, and so that's another hint to it. Oh. Uh, okay, mm. like we've kind of got another Gideon-type yeah. figure here. Yeah. There's a lot of little kind of red warning markers I that text is giving. I listened to an interesting um, podcast, the Bema podcast. It's this sort of Jew, um, <laughs> Jewish Christian um, scholar, and he was talking about even <laughs> just the difference between being a like shepherd of sheep and being a herder of donkeys, and mm. that donkeys are just these stubborn animals that yeah. essentially need to be almost like beaten into yep. line a little bit, whereas the idea of a shepherd is somebody who's gently guiding mm. and leading. And even that in itself sort of informs the character and way in which, you know, Saul, just by his upbringing, has been taught how to lead and guide by essentially like mm. kicking and, and whipping and hitting these donkeys. Mm. And then, you know, we do eventually see when David enters that he himself even sees the experience that he's had as a shepherd of, as very instrumental in defining the, his character and who mm. he's become. So it's really interesting just in the fact of the, even the type of animals that he's failing yeah. to herd at that moment. Yeah, that is. Um, and look, and that's kind of it is... So the narrative goes on a bit more. Saul's, you know, anointed in oil. The spirit rests upon him. The, he's presented before the people. Mm. Saul hides 
away from the people. <laughs> where is it? I'm trying to find it. Anyway, here in the text. It's, whenever you see lots of writing, I'm like, where is it? But yeah, it's just... Yeah. Like, nothing here about him is presented as like yeah. a, a really, you know... This, guy, this is, you know... This is your king, a guy who's hiding from everyone yeah. in fear. And, um, but what, but what um, happens in Samuel a bit is that when... Um, when a new son, I use the word son in inverted commas, so you yeah. had Samuel replacing Hophni and Phineas, you've yeah. got Saul replacing Joel and Abijah, David with Saul, is that there needs to be some sort of victory. Yeah. And so when Samuel essentially replaces, Samuel is instrumental in leading the Israelites into yeah. victory. Saul, when he becomes king, he has a great victory against, mm. interesting enough, a guy called Nahash, which can mean serpent. Yeah. So that's kind of an interesting sort of, um, <laughs> yeah, defeating the serpent, which yeah. Genesis 3 kind of language. Yeah, and then yeah, yeah. Uh, and then obviously David, he defeats yeah. Goliath. After and and Saul does defeat Nahash in that, in that does, moment. Yeah. It's sort of like seen as a moment of, of triumph for him. Mm. He's sort of, yeah, set up as this serpent defeater, right? Yeah. And then, so, yeah, so even despite the kind of little hints that he's not always cracked up to be, he does start off quite well. Um, yeah, when Nahash, um, he besieges a place called Gabash Gilead, which, and the, and the idea is, oh, let's make a treat. Like Nahash asks him to make a treaty, mm. and it's pretty full on. <laughs> pretty this intense. is the treaty. This is like, this is chapter 11. It says, Nahash Demite replied, I'll make a treaty of you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you. <laughs> yeah, sure thing. <laughs> cool. I, mean, I mean, look, if, if this doesn't work out, there's always one more eye that we can make a deal with someone else. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's quite like, wow, okay, this is, um, yeah. So, I, I mean, what, what, other than just being a barbaric sort mm. of warlord, what, what do you sort of see the significance of having an eye gouged out? Oh, just humiliating. Yeah. I guess, because the right, the right, the right is, you know, the sign of honor. So yeah. So having your right eye gouged out yeah. for people, I guess it's a way of just dishonoring everyone. It's yeah. showing the superiority of Nahash. There's another judge. I'm trying to think. There's a king and judges. I can't remember. He cuts off people's thumbs. It was like mm. a way to like, um, yeah, was that something to to do with fighting? As yeah, well? like, like it's probably not like too. If you're missing yeah. an eye, you're not your as depth um, perception. Yeah, you're not as effective as a fighter. Your archery is yeah, you know, sure. it's just a way to humiliate people. I and so I remember Tim, Tim Mackey saying something about the the blindedness as well, and that like the serpent when you know sort of. Um, tempted Adam and Eve to take from the tree that then they sort of their eyes were opened and mm. this idea of being blind and seeing and the serpent is trying to blind them again mm. and this idea of you know obviously um, I think um, Eli ends up becoming uh, being like, quite blind yeah, does, yeah. near the end of yep, his yep. sort of life um, so this idea of being blind obviously is, is seen to have spiritual significance mm. a lot of the time as well. So yeah, this idea, not, not just physically wanting to maim them, but almost spiritually wanting yeah. to defeat them in a way as well. And so this is when, um, and, and you see a lot of parallels with judges. I've noticed a couple, um, when Saul hears about what's happening, when the messages come from Gibeah, Saul heard their words, the spirit of God comes upon him powerfully like mm. a judge. And yeah. that's when the judges would fight yeah. Israel's enemies. Burns of anger, he takes a pair of oxen, cuts him into pieces, 
and sends the pieces throughout Israel. And he goes, this is what's going to happen to you if you don't come. He's like a <laughs> Middle Eastern godfather, just yeah, putting horses' then, heads in people's beds. But then this sort of is alluding back to Judges when mm. the Levite's concubine is killed. Yeah. He cuts her up and sends out peace. And that leads to like a civil war against Benjamin. But now Saul is sort of flipping the narrative. He's cut the oxen up. Yeah. And okay. there's one leading from the tribe of Benjamin. It's now so there's like a bit of oh maybe actually he's going to bring a unification yeah. for the people. The spirit's on him. Yeah, he's ready for battle. He's angry at what Nahash is going to do. Yeah, he's not cutting up concubines. He's yeah, cutting yeah, up animals. Yeah. And that Tell him, hey, like you need people. to yeah. like, and they they yeah, do. Wow. They they gather together. Um, the the says here when Saul mustered them at Bezek, the men of Israel numbered three hundred thousand, and those of Judah thirty thousand. So, and it's interesting the text divides the 10 tribes the judah so it's showing that there's a unification like he's brought everyone together yeah and then yeah uh you know to kind of skip forward they plan the battle um and then yeah they're victorious and and that's kind of it like saul's first encounter yeah as king is he is victorious yeah he, he hd well done yeah yeah like <laughs> and so kind of saying up ah oh, well actually maybe this dude will do the the right thing and then we sort of in chapter 12, we get um, yeah, Samuel's sort of farewell address. And Samuel's like, oh, you know, I didn't really do anything wrong. I've never stolen. I've never you know, done any injustice against you. And then um, what's he doing as Samuel is like doing his farewell speech, he says, now, he said, this is from chapter 12, verse 6, he says, now then stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before you. Is it not wheat harvest? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain and you realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> no, Saul's kind of started off well. Samuel, in his sort of farewell address before he dies, he's like, mm, just remember this, like this is the power of God and bringing rain at the harvest time. That didn't happen like we're talking wet and dry seasons yeah. here and so the people are like ah oh, yeah okay crap this is like we shouldn't have done yeah. this and that's kind of sets up a bit so, so samuel's like ah oh, you're not gonna die from this but yeah if you persist in doing evil you and your king will perish yeah and then that's kind of samuel's like words final address and then then we introduce this sort of saul's failures when the wheels start to come off so yeah. to speak so yeah starts off with um yeah him offering that sacrifice when he shouldn't samuel's like hey i'm gonna you know wait yeah. seven days yeah then he doesn't do it um and then when that happens samuel's like eh, you know king is going to be tall from you and then he does it again where um he's called to wipe out um what are they called what nation is it? Amalekites. Amalekites. Yes, that's it. And he doesn't do that either. Yeah. And Samuel's like, oh, that's it, man. Like, you're gone. Your kingdom's gone. It's going to be given to yeah. someone else. And so we'll talk about this before the podcast, just how harsh that seems yeah. to Samuel. Like, oh, like, David actually commits way worse things. Yeah. He doesn't get the kingdom stripped of him. Yeah. So, so Saul sort of, um, and look, like with, with that sacrifice, you're like, okay, I'm like chilling out in yep. this. Like, I don't know, even when I read that passage there, I don't know, I'm feeling a bit tense. Like, I'm like, I can yep. kind of, I'm putting myself in Saul's shoes. It's like, you know, I've yeah. got this like incoming army and I want to make sure that also like I do the right thing. I want to make mm. sure that, you know, the sacrifice is offered so that God's on our side. Like, 
um, and it really almost feels like not um, an obstinate rebellion, but rather um, a panicked mm. sort of um, yeah. decision that he makes to mm. make the sacrifice. Like it, it doesn't seem like rebellion just for the sake of rebellion, but rather allowing his anxieties yeah. and worry that you know this needs to be this sacrifice needs to be made. And then again, you know, I think most of us living in the modern world would probably say, yeah, like if. God forbid you're put in a situation where there's a military battle, mm. like not absolutely destroying and killing yeah. every single person, but saying, hey, guys, <laughs> like you are now part of our kingdom, our nation, our whatever, um, our, mm. our treaty. We're not going to destroy you. Or like, yeah, on, on the surface, a lot of these things seem like kind of minor things or, or mm. at least justifiable mm. decisions. Um, but it's sort of pointing towards something about what's going on in, in, yeah. in Saul's heart, right? Yeah, and what, um, and what if you look at, say, 13, chapters 13 to 15 sort of describe Saul's, like, failure. So, yeah. like, 13, like, he's like, terrified of what's going to happen, so it was a sacrifice out of fear, instead of trust. Chapter 15's just pure disobedience. Yeah. Like, it's like, well, you're meant to harem, like, yeah. ritually destroy the Amakites, which, interestingly enough, when you get to Esther, yeah. um, Hanan, he's a descendant of... Alamakites and Mordecai is a descendant of Saul so it's yeah. sort of like Mordecai has to kind of finish off what Saul failed to yeah, do so yeah, there's a little yeah. fun fact there but in between that we're given chapter 14 funny enough 13 14 in chapter 14 <laughs> we're given a description of Jonathan who is quite a good son yeah. he's very righteous and he where the Philistines on top of the hill he through the valley where his armor bearer climbs up has this great victory yeah and encourages the Israelites and Saul makes this stupid vow like anyone eats before the day's out there'd be a curse upon them and yeah. Jonathan doesn't hear that vow yeah while he's fighting eat some honey yeah which kind of is a bit of another link to judges like um, yeah, Samson yeah the Nazarene eating yeah, honey yeah. out of the line yeah, yeah um but this time it's seen as a good thing, not a bad thing. Yeah. Like he eats it, his eyes are light, and he's able to keep on fighting. And then it becomes apparent. I always never kind of stood how this worked in the Old Testament. So they knew <laughs> yeah. when vows were broken, but yeah, anyway, they know that someone's, and it comes down to Saul and Jonathan. And it's like, oh, if it's you, Jonathan, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. And so Saul will kill people for failing to follow his word. Mm. But he doesn't see that as following the word of Yahweh. Yeah. And so rather, so we can kind of read Saul and go, oh, you know, Paul Saul. Yeah. But like, that's what it's doing. It's like there's two yeah. occasions where he fails to follow the word of the yeah. Lord and he doesn't sort of like care. Yeah. And then the f like chapter 14 is like, well, you see how he treats others who disobey his word? Yeah. I'm going to kill my own son. Like, Well, he's kind of setting himself up as God because he's saying, yes. you know, if you eat, like you yep, will yep. surely die. And yep. then his son not knowing because he's not following the yeah. rules of his earthly father, mm -hmm. but his heavenly father yep. Eats, his eyes are opened yeah, or lightened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's definitely this idea that he takes and he mm -hmm. eats, um, but it's not seen in that case mm -hmm. as a disobedient thing yeah. to God, only a disobedient thing to the word of Saul who's mm. trying to make himself God. God yeah. I think that that's that huge thing that he is at in that moment. He's, you know, in the sacrifice, he's trying mm. trying to become a priest or making yep. himself a priest. In this moment, he's making himself God, oh, yeah. which is pretty <laughs> problematic. Yeah, yeah and. Yeah, like imagine that, like preparing to kill your own son and the men have to like go, well, Saul, like what are you doing? Like yeah. Jonathan saved us and you're going to kill him because yeah. like as I'm paraphrasing, you made some stupid vow. Yeah. Like, and that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's ridiculous, like a jephthah. Yeah. yeah. And you start, you start to see and it's just how these links, yeah, yeah, yeah. Judges, Samuel, you yeah. get these links to these yeah. other 
characters that are bad and you're like, yeah. oh. Can you just quickly unpack the story of oh, Jephthah? Jephthah. So Jephthah is a judge who makes a vow that if I'm victorious, whoever the first thing that comes out of my house, I will sacrifice to the Lord. And the first thing that comes out of his house is his daughter. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. He sacrifices her. Yeah. And yeah. The, which is a hint that how little people understood Torah because actually his provisions that oh, if you made a vow and you can't fulfill it, you can offer another sacrifice. So yeah, because yeah, child sacrifice is like expressly forbidden yeah. killing your children for like a vow is yeah, so yeah, yeah, yeah. so there's elements of that there and so and that's how Saul is presented so rather than sort of seeing as a kind of oh poor Saul a bit of a tragic hero who made some mistakes and kind of got a rough end of the deal yeah. is actually he we've had hints throughout that he's not just because yeah. he's tall and handsome doesn't mean he's a good king he's not great at looking after animals yeah yeah, he's a coward. He's hiding when, yeah. <laughs> you know, when Saul's about to announce him. Um, yeah, he deliberately disobeys the word of the Lord twice and doesn't show any repentance. Yeah. It seemed a little like a Judas figure. Like Judas yeah. was upset when he threw the money. But yeah. rather than seeking repentance like Peter, because yeah. Judas essentially did what Peter did, maybe a bit more intense, but Peter betrayed Jesus no less. Yeah, I mean, Peter did it more times yeah. technically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Peter, like, repents and is restored. Judas feels remorse and hangs himself. So it seems more like Saul feels this. He's sad, yeah. but not repentful for what he's done. There's no yeah. seeking to transform his life yeah. like David. David at least is like, you are the man when Nathan tells him about yeah. Bathsheba. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I am. And Can we unpack that for a second? Because mm. I think that's a really profound idea. Um, he's not repentant. <laughs> he's sad. Yeah. Can we like just because I think that that just for our own lives, mm. um, when you know, inevitably as broken human beings, mm-hmm. we fall into moments of sin, um, can be a trap. <laughs> um, how would you differentiate on a deeper level the difference between sad and, and repentant? Yeah. Um, so I see repentant as a desire to want to change and transform. So one John talks a lot about quite scary in some ways it's like oh you know if you any of us who are in christ you know we are not to sin anymore but if we do sin we have an advocate through the father jesus christ and so i see repentance is recognizing that we have done something wrong we're earnestly seeking to try to change and transform our life and this is turn around to turn around and this is the tension like i love what paul says he goes i am the chief sinner (laughs) and this is paul and so the recognition that we will we're always going to have sin in our life that we will struggle with, that we won't be perfect this side of eternity. But look, and that's not to say that I'm pointing my finger upwards. Like life isn't just, there's there's peaks and troughs in our spiritual journey. We will feel like we are walking along the narrow gate sometimes and other times it's like uh, kind of cruising through. But on the whole, the journey is towards what the Bible calls sanctification. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We want to be sanctified purified to be yeah walking more with jesus yeah than just sort of and you'll hear some people they might have made a a declaration as a kid or something but nothing has really changed Mm. there's no outward transformation there's Mm. no real sort of yeah and that's and that's why i see it's the difference between like a saul and a david is that david yeah, David, when you start looking at his life, he does a lot of things wrong, yeah. I guess. Remember when I first studied him in the Old Testament, I was like, wow. Like, I thought he was a pretty perfect guy apart from Bathsheba. But yeah, yeah he's... Yeah. yeah, but even 
and so that, that was the point is that David always repents and he's constantly seeking yeah. after the Lord in that repentance, yeah. going back to and owning his um, mistakes and his sin. Um, I think at the end of Second Samuel, uh, David offers a census. He wants a census of the army, which is seen mm-hmm. as this real horrific thing to do. And Joab, his general's like, don't do it, don't do it. Like the yeah. Lord will bless you even more. And he does it. And then his eyes open, oh, wow, like I've totally stuffed up. And it's yeah. like, well, what's going to be the judgment? It's like yeah. uh, three, three years of famine, like how many months of like warfare or three days from the Lord? And David's like, oh, I'd rather throw my hands into the living God. And like yeah. God basically wipes out Israel over. The little textual, it's a bit hard. There's like 70,000 people are killed over those three days. It's yeah. not sure if it's 77. Anyway, point is, it's like, Angel Lord's about to wipe out Jerusalem. David's there, like, take me, take my family, don't take everyone else. Yeah. Like that's he recognizes his sin and yeah. he becomes in a sense like a Jesus type character. Take me, yeah. instead I will take the sin of yeah. so yeah. Which then sort of echoes, you know, that Moses moment as well yeah. of kind of, you know, <coughs> blot, blot me out of yeah. your, your book. Yeah, not Israel. So Yeah. So with all of this, we Mm. see, um, I think, in our modern day, and we've Mm. spoken a bit about this before, um, I don't know about you, but the very real symbol of a king doesn't do much for me. I mean, I've enjoyed Netflix as the crown, (laughs) uh, but King Charles, you know, don't feel any allegiance to him, if I'm going to be honest. Um, And I think the reality is um, more of a figurehead really mm, i mean yeah. look maybe if you're part of the anglican church i don't know maybe some people take <laughs> i feel like even a lot of anglicans don't necessarily yeah, yeah. take that role that the mm. british monarch play within their yeah. sort of denominational structure very seriously no. um so you kind of spoke a bit on the weekend about what kings can look like in our mm. context um and i yeah suppose you gave us the really i found funny uh vision of, of albanese leading us into war you know mm. um, um, definitely probably not the person I'd want ahead of yeah, me yeah. in a, you know, sword battle. But w- what are we falling or what can we be guilty of falling mm. into the traps of? Obviously, we don't look to King Charles, I don't yeah. think. I can probably safely speak yeah, yeah. for our congregation as somebody who's really going to do anything for mm. our personal lives or for our, you know, faith or for the mm. health of our congregation. Um, what are the traps today yeah. who are the people that we can so look to what are the things so i see it as falling not trusting god yeah in the like quite terrifying moments of life now the fact is is that samuel for all his yeah good points he did fail with his sons now that could be a failure of raising him properly or sometimes he just have kids that go wayward there was injustice in the land to have like judges over you who accept bribes and pervert justice, like that's not good for anyone. If you becomes about like essentially evolution, survival of the fittest. So if you've got the most money, the most strength, Joel and Abijah just gonna lead Israel into a corrupt state, probably worse than um, Hophni and Phineas did at Shiloh. So there was a genuine issue there. There's, but we know in chapter seven that God brings victory. Mm even when there's overwhelming odds. Mm. And so when we put that into our life, we can be faced with any number of sort of issues, whether it be financial, medical, kids, you, you can just add in the blank where you are. And, and the danger is if we feel like God isn't acting straight away, we look to something else. We mm. look to something else like everyone else around us 
to find that fulfillment and yeah whether it be uh, look it's hard like here at Dural like there's a lot of wealthy people here so when I drop the kids off school everyone's got like these really schmick cars and we mm. rock up in our yeah. nearly 20 year old guy wouldn't mind a Tesla <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah and it's like yeah that, that can be the type of thing that can start to grate on you if your yeah. identity identity isn't in Jesus you start to go oh well I want to be like everyone else around me and I remember this really clear when I started working at Sydney Cricket around sounds so dumb now everyone had these Nike runners yeah everyone yeah and I had these ASICs and I needed new shoes so you know what type of shoes I've got the same black Nike yeah. runners like yeah, everyone else because sure. I wanted yeah. to fit in you wanted Nikes like all the other nations yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like oh, it's just such a bizarre and I look back I'm like you know, it's funny what happened to those shoes as they got burnt by the pool heater one day it poured in the rain yeah, and right. I put the shoes next to the pool heater yeah. to try to warm up and the heater consumed by a holy fire <laughs> um, which I found hilariously ironic um, yeah. and then I ended up getting different shoes which no one else wore anyway but yeah that's a stupid story but that's an example of yeah. how we can fall into the trouble of everyone else around us mm. is like this and especially too there's like which time is the summer ASAP where he's like looking around and like oh the wicked have all this wealth they have no problems man like i'm following the lord and nothing's mm. gone for me mm. there's nothing great here yeah. and let's just be like everyone else and we'll be yeah. blessed and happy and live a carefree right carefree life and so that's what i see is we can draw practical application from that is yeah perhaps it's not an actual king but it's wanting to be like everyone else around us because mm. we have issues in life that mm. we think god can't solve he isn't solving in our time frame and yeah, the I mentioned last podcast the book I'm reading about natural disasters and the chapter on prayer. Terence Friedheim says in the West our issue with prayer is that we want it to be instantaneous. Yeah, it's mostly focused around us, and there's yep. very little recognition of prayer. It might take decades or centuries to be answered. Now for us, as like instantaneous yeah. gratification. That's yeah. very very hard. Like yeah. the I never forget that sermon you did. Um, we talked about the tree, those blessed those who plant trees for their yeah. grandchildren. And I was like, yeah, that's so true. Like you're planting something that you're never going to see in your lifetime, but someone else 200, 300 years later is going to benefit from. And so, yeah, our perception of when God answers prayer, yeah, that doesn't, f- we often think now, I want it now. And sometimes God does do that. Yeah. Like, yeah, I remember Rachel's looking for a new job and someone from, this is our first church at Lidcombe Brella. Someone prayed, and like literally two days later, the job application was mm. like, "Oh yeah, have an interview." And I was mm. like, "Whoa, that was." But sometimes it's not, and you yeah. spend, yeah, days, weeks, months, years praying, and yeah. God answer that. And so, yeah, that's a bit like we've had a song. That song is a song of resistance, and yeah. it's like, well, maybe right now I'm not seeing it, yeah. but God will do that. Yeah. And the point of one Samuel chapter seven is that well. Yeah, it doesn't matter how big the Philistine army is. Yeah. They get defeated. Like, yeah. It's not because of the superiority of Israel's army. The Philistines have, yeah, the probably the most advanced army around at that time. They have mm. chariots. Well, we know they have a Goliath. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Spoiler. <laughs> you know, they have such a, a grasp on the military supplies that, only Jonathan and Saul, we're told, in yeah. chapter 14, have swords. Like, <laughs> they can't yeah. get... Yeah, God defeats the Philistines. Yeah. And yet, this is the problem. Israel wants to be like everyone else around because they don't trust God, so they fall into a Saul, 
and then they kind of get what they pay for. They go back to Egypt. So rather than fleeing from Egypt, and this is where, because the books of Joshua, Judges, Samuel, and Kings are kind of meant to be read as one, Mm -hmm. like one sort of big Mm -hmm. scroll, one big flowing story. And so Samuel's words are kind of haunting there in chapter eight. Like he gives them that warning of, um, he says, hey, you know, your king will claim rights. He'll take your sons and make them serve in chariots and horses. He'll sign some of your commanders of thousands. You know, he'll take the, the best of your harvest. He'll take your daughters to be fur farmers and cooks. Like, he's going to take the very best of everything. Yeah. Um, in Torah, each, each person was given their slice of heaven, so to speak. Here's yeah. your tribal land. You don't move the boundary markers. The God's going to bless you. That's how it was meant to be. Instead now... Come becoming a Canaanite slash Egyptian state where the king has everything. Yeah. And so instead of families kind of being self-sufficient, you mm. become given your best to the king who's just going to take, 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 take. Yeah. And yeah, when you get to Solomon's time at least, you're like, hmm, Jerusalem's now become Egypt. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, yeah. yes, yeah, Solomon's gone down getting chariots and mm. having multiple wives. And so yeah. that's the, the spiral mm. of it all. And so for us, it's that, yeah, do we actually trust God to do what he says he will do? And I think of faithful heroes like a Hudson Taylor, who if you ever read his book, there's like just stories of him going, hmm, I have no money for my rent and it's due tomorrow. Oh, well, I'm going to pray. And the next day there's a bag of money there with the exact amount yeah. and yeah. food for him. And so, yeah, like the manna in heaven, it's an act of, well, I'm going to trust God to provide and come through. And yeah. Yeah, so whether your life is, you know, you're trying to find identity to look like the people around you or, yeah, whatever it might be, it's about actually trusting God to provide those needs for you to not be like everyone else around you. Yeah, so good, so good. Well, look, I definitely think that that's something we can all be challenged by in the recognition that in, uh, you know, Israel's uh, impatience for a king, they installed somebody and sort of, you know, ended up having him install himself as God in some mm. ways and in now await for the second coming of our king, mm. you know, that patience that we too must hold on to. Um, <coughs> yeah, and, mm. and not fall into the traps of trying to solve situations ourselves and make mm. our own kings or queens <laughs> of situations. So good. Well, yeah, mm. really getting so much out of this journey through That's Samuel cool. and looking forward to, uh, yeah, look, looking at uh, this, this week's sermon got a bit of a famous Sunday school yes, story yes. that you're going to shed some light and insight mm. on for us. What yeah, are you David and Goliath. Yeah. So, yeah, I think a lot of us just sort of see David and Goliath as if you have Goliath in your life, God will defeat them. Yeah. And there's truth to that. Yeah. But it's not what yeah, 1 Samuel 17 is about. It's not the whole it's point of the story. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot deeper than that. Love it. So, so good. Well, good. I can't wait to hear all about it. It's going to uh, be a, a, a joy to be reinvigorated by a, a, an old Sunday school story with new insight and yep. illumination. Well, thanks for listening, guys. And Thank look you, everyone. To seeing you Sunday. See ya. Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.